It is a special day of remembrance for us on Palm Sunday to, to remember that, that entry of Jesus into, uh, into Jerusalem. And, and really, it is a celebratory day, which is always um, one of the reasons that a cantata is so appropriate on on a day like today, because it does celebrate Jesus. But, but it is an interesting day in this, that as John talked about in, in his prayer, uh, those cries of Hosanna will soon, to, soon turn to cries of, of crucify him. And we always have to wrestle with that, how quickly the, the tides turn on Jesus in the course of a week, from a Sunday to a, to a, a Friday morning. And it's challenging this morning for us because we're finishing our series, which has been looking each week at the words Jesus speaks on the cross. So even today that we celebrate in the church worldwide, we celebrate Palm Sunday, we celebrate triumphal entry, our attention turns to the crucifixion. Our attention turns to, to Jesus on the cross. And, and the interesting thing is that I think, as we'll get to in a few moments, what, what we See, on the cross stands in sharp contrast to what Palm Sunday was about. See, Palm Sunday, the crowds cheered Jesus, but they cheered the Messiah that they expected. They cheered the Messiah they expected. What the cross reveals to us is the Messiah that we needed cross reveals to us not the Messiah that we expect, but the Messiah that we need. And so each of these statements have, have helped illuminate the, the nature of God and the person of Christ from those opening statements, Father, forgive them, or you will be with me in paradise. Mother, here is your son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. Each of these statements in this six-hour journey of Christ. From nailed to the cross to these last moments and last breaths that he takes. And so this morning we look at the last two words. We treat them together this morning. Luke's account and John's account of the last things that Jesus said on the cross because it brings this time to completion and, and begins to then prepare us. Uh, for what is, is yet to come. So I'm going to start with Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 46. We're going to turn to John in, in a few moments, but we're going to start with Luke's account of those last moments of Jesus on the cross and, and what he has to say to us. And this is what Luke writes. Verse 44, he says, It was now about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that these moments would speak to us, would 
shape us, not just in our understanding of, of who you are, but who we are and what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, thank you for your gift. And may these moments be yours, inspired, moved, led by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. He knew. He knew. These moments that Luke shares with us, these moments that we'll read in a moment from John, Jesus knows he's taking his last gasps. He knows that this time and, and his suffering is about to come to an end. He knows that his spirit is about to return to the Father. He knows. Maybe in a way that we can't comprehend until it's our moment. But he knows. And so into these final gasps of breath, after six hours now of hanging on the cross, after six hours of excruciating suffering, after six hours of his lungs filling with blood, says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And at its very surface, it is the last cry of a man who is taking his last breaths. And it is that. But it is also so much more when we begin to, to understand the significance of the words. And this is redundant, and I've said this every week when we've talked about these things that Jesus says on the cross, because what we see here is that even in these last moments, his mind is clear. Because with his last breaths, he doesn't just speak it. The scripture says that he cried out. He cried so that it would be heard. And, and in these moments, he quotes scripture. He quotes Psalm 31. It's amazing how often we've gone back to the Psalms in these words of Jesus. And he goes back to the 31st Psalm and he's quoting verse 5. And in the 31st Psalm, it's a psalm, it's a song, it's a lyric that David writes. And he writes it when his life is being threatened. There are people that want him dead. He writes it when his friends have abandoned him. Does this sound familiar? And he's in a very dark and a very painful and a very lonely place. And he writes that in this, Psalm 31.5, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord. Be faithful to me, God. Deliver me, Lord. Be faithful to me. Into your hands I commit thy spirit. Now, Jesus quotes this. And what Jesus is doing in these moments is what he has done throughout this time on the cross. He is emphasizing, he is giving hints, if you will, to the people who hear his words, to those of us who will read his words, that he is who they thought he was. Palm Sunday, as I just mentioned, is about people celebrating a Messiah, an expected Messiah, and his constant reference to the prophecy, to the connection of those words about him, is his way of saying, I am who you've waited for. 
It's not a coincidence that he quotes David because remember they believed that the Messiah would come from the line and the lineage of David as Jesus was. And he quotes these words of David as if to say, I am who you thought I was. I'm just not what you expected me to be. I come not with violent redemption, which is what they wanted. They wanted a king that was going to come in glory. They wanted a king that was going to bring the the armies and bring the military might and was going to redeem them with a violent revolution against the oppressors, against the Romans. They wanted violent redemption. What Jesus gives them is a suffering servant, suffering redemption. We are redeemed through his suffering. We are redeemed through his sacrifice. We are redeemed not through the mighty hand of power, but for the redemptive hand of love. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit from eternity. He came, and to eternity he returns, albeit for just a moment before the tomb will be empty, before we'll get to the next part of the story. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. His work, his suffering, his weariness, he is letting go of as he returns to God. His words become our challenge. His words become our question in our moments of weariness, in our moments of hurting, in our moments of of suffering, in our moments of abandonment, fill in the word. Where do we commit our spirits? And whose hand do we find rest? Jesus reminds us of the power and the invitation to commit our lives to him, to find rest and redemption in his hands. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Then we turn to John. John chapter 19. As we read there, John's final words that Jesus speaks. And it picks up Right where we left off last week with that cry, I am thirsty, with the offering of the, of the uh, vinegar wine that we talked about. And we read in verse 30, just this one verse, John says that when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Tetelestia. It is a word that would have been common in the day. It was the word that was spoken when a servant finished his task. That's what he would have said to his master. Tetelestia. It is done. The work is completed. These are the words that Jesus speaks. I believe some of the most profound of 
the words that Jesus speaks on the cross. It is finished. Now, it is interesting, and I think we do have to stop for a moment and reflect upon the fact that Luke and, and John have different words as, as the last of Jesus, because both, both share these words that Jesus speaks as he gives up his spirit. And for some, that might seem troubling, but I want to encourage you, don't be troubled by that. The, the nuances of the Gospels, the gift of the Gospels, are a blessing for us because it allows us to paint and have a full picture of Jesus because the Gospels were written from the perspectives of those who experienced the events, who heard the stories. And the reality is our perspectives are always different. Our memories of events are always different. Not wrong, not untrue, but we see things from different angles. I so often stand up here on a Sunday and I will tell stories on myself, and sometimes I'll tell stories on Tony. I'll use her. She's always very gracious. She's usually very, sometimes she's very gracious when I tell <laughs> stories about her. Um, but, but a lot of times, well, you, you guys don't get the, you know, you don't get to peer into the conversations that we have after services. And a lot of times it's like, you know, Chris, I, I remember that story a little differently than, than you do. And, uh, and is it that I'm not being truthful? No, no. Um, it's that perspectives do, do vary. They are, they're different. If, if after the services today, as you were leaving, we handed you a piece of paper and a pen and said, listen, write down everything you remember from worship today, from the songs that are sung, the, the prayers that were prayed, the words that I speak here, write down what, what you remember. Not two of you in this room would write the same accounts. You may have some of the same things. Not one of you, I hope, would make up stories, though I've been told a few times of things I've said in sermons that I'm like, I don't think I remember saying that in the sermon. <laughs> but sometimes I don't know what I say, so it could be. But, but the idea is you, your perspective, your eyes, your experience, that's, that's the way that, that we receive things. We could do that, you know, if we went out and watched the Easter egg hunt today and said, right, what you see? We'd see different things, and all of them would paint a complete and a full picture. So John writes what he remembers. He writes what stood out to him. Luke writes what he remembers. He writes what stood out to him. Both can be absolutely true. And John remembers these words. It is finished. Jesus says in John 17, he says, I have brought you glory. I have brought glory to God by finishing the task I was sent here to do. Telestia. Completing the task that I was sent here to do. It's not just that Jesus is saying that his life has ended. That his last breath has come. That this this part of his, of his ministry has completed. But he has finished the work that he came to do. Going back to our, one of our foundational scriptures, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we may be the righteousness of God. How do we become the righteousness of God? It is through the forgiveness of sin. The spotless lamb that has become the sacrifice. The one who has laid down his life that our sin would be forgiven. That's the work God sent him to do. Remember in the Garden 
of Gethsemane just the night before the crucifixion and Jesus in his agony, in his fear, in his apprehension as he cried out to God, as he prayed, as he sweated drops of blood, which is physically possible to do. And he cries out, Lord, if there could be another way, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Jesus has fulfilled the will of the Father. It is finished. He has fulfilled that which he has come to do. He became sin so that we may become righteousness. And in doing so, death no longer gets the final victory. Now that's a little bit to come. I'm jumping a little ahead of the story because that comes in fullness on resurrection morning. The revelation of that comes in fullness on Easter morning. But what Jesus is saying is that that which you have sent me to do, that relationship that had been broken by sin in Genesis is restored through the redemptive work of Jesus. And we are brought into that right relationship, that righteousness of God. That which I have come to do is completed. Tetelestia. It is finished. C.S. Lewis, in his books, The Chronicles of Narnia, if you remember, if you've read them, if you've seen the movies, you know that Aslan the Lion is that figure, that Christ figure in this story that he tells. And in the narrative, there's a part of the story in The, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when the white witch comes for the boy Edmund, one of the, one of the siblings that has come into Narnia because he has been a traitor. He has betrayed the others. And she says that part of the, 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 the magic, part of the, the, the law of the land, as you will, that the blood of a traitor belongs to her. And so in his place, Aslan sacrifices himself. The lion, the, the enemy of the white witch, is, is killed on the table. And in the aftermath of that, in the presence of two of the girls, Lucy and um, Susan, Aslan comes to life again. And they're baffled by that. And they ask him, how can this be? We saw you die. And he said, the white witch knew the magic that said that for a traitor, blood must be shed. But her magic didn't go back far enough. It didn't go back beyond the beginning of time. For if it did, she would know that when an innocent one is sacrificed in place of a guilty, that the table is broken and death would begin to work. The table is broken and death would begin to work backwards. C.S. Lewis is very intentionally writing a connection to the story of Jesus because in the death of Jesus, the curtain is torn in two. The separation is broken and death begins to work backwards. So death doesn't get the final say. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? That's what Paul said. It doesn't get that anymore. Because of the redemptive work of Jesus, we know life. 
because of the redemptive work of Jesus, we are no longer bound by our sin, but we find freedom in the righteousness of God that allows us to not be driven by guilt, not be driven by the worry of what we will do wrong, because Christ's righteousness is greater than our sin. And when Christ died, he, Christ, he died for the sins we have committed, the sins of our present, and the sins that will come. When we are faithful to confess that, when we are faithful to receive that gift that Jesus has given. But our lives are not dominated by fear. Our lives are dominated by freedom. The freedom that God gives us to live into the fullness of who he's created us to be. To live into the joy of knowing that death begins to work backwards. And it doesn't get to be the final say anymore. It is finished. This is what Christ has done for us. This is the significance of the cross. This is why it's empty for us. Because Jesus doesn't stay there. It worked backwards. That which was death to Rome becomes life for us. That we may receive the fullness of the righteousness of God. He commits himself into the, spirit, the hands of the Father when the work is done. And thanks be to God on the cross through his willing sacrifice, and never forget he was there willingly. We often talk about him as the, the unblemished lamb. But the difference is Jesus willingly went to the cross. He went of his free choosing. That kind of love will mess you up. That kind of love and that kind of sacrifice and the depth of that gift will change us. And when he did, he won our freedom, and he offers us a life that is beyond anything we can comprehend. Brothers and sisters, every word that he speaks, every day of his life, every miracle he performs, every sermon he preached, every gift of grace that he showed and love and sacrifice and mercy that he gave, it all led to this moment. The veil is torn in two. He breathed his last, but not before that declarative statement. It is finished. And for that, for that, thanks be to God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, if we think honestly, reflect deeply what you have done for us, we cannot help but be overwhelmed by the power of your love. What you have willingly really done for us it is finished thank you for the work that you completed on the cross the forgiveness we have received and the life we are free to live in faith and obedience to you help us to grasp in fullness that life you, you offer and to live this day and every day in faith in gratitude and in obedience to you through Christ our Lord for it is in his name we pray and let the people of God say, Amen.